Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. Well, I want to jump right into it. I got a lot of things that I want to share this morning. I hope they're helpful, encouraging. These, uh, really, these truths that we will engage with today, I believe, will continue to keep us on this course, this journey with Jesus. And as he leads our life, we will see the beautiful glory of God go before us, and he will use us to a greater measure. Amen? Uh, when I was a young person, I liked to play sports a lot. Anybody love sports? Anybody? Yeah? Only a couple, and uh, pretty much everybody. And uh, go Seahawks, hashtag Husky fan. And uh, any Cougars? Yep. Jesus, help them. It's not that bad. I was in Duckville for a long time. Jesus, I'm so glad to be here. I can deal with some Cougars. I love Cougars now. <laughs> but so you're like, what? What? That's weird. <laughs> But uh, I, I used to play some sports, and, uh, you know, really, I was the guy on the court. I wasn't always the most physically gifted, but I was always the most tenacious. And ultimately, at one point in my journey, um, I was probably one of the better people on the court. And I got to the point, come on, everybody, you know, the older we get, the better we were. Anybody with me, right? <laughs> Back in my day, if <laughs> coach would have put me in, we would have won state. Okay. And uh, I, so I played basketball a lot, and, and I found myself in this rec league. I'm, I'm balling out. I think to myself, I should at least be in the, the D league or something, you know. And so some of you are like, really? I don't know. In my world, come on. And so I played a lot of basketball, and I was in this rec league, and it was great. I was having fun. Uh, we were playing in this league. It was, I think it was a 40 and over league, and I was like 39 and a half. And I like, you know. Cheated on my age to be a little bit older. How many of you would do that? Nobody would. Nobody wants to be older. I want to be younger. And uh, so I'm playing in this league, and I'm just chopping these guys up. I'm beating them left side, right side, getting a hole, hole, scoring at well. I think I'm MJ. I want to be, I want to be like Mike, right? And so <laughs> Gatorade. And so I'm just out here just hooping, feeling great about myself. I was Kiki. Do you love me? I was in my feelings, right? And and so I, I, I literally, at this point, the game was on the line. This guy that was guarding me, he was nothing. I was just getting right by him. Then all of a sudden, they put this big guy, 6'8", at least 250 pounds, 450 pounds. And he was like 7'9". And he, was, um, he came out to guard me out high. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give it to him. But literally, when I saw him walking on the court, I was like... I was like a grasshopper in my own eyes. Sorry, that was a bi biblical joke. Don't go losing your head over that one, John the Baptist. And um, so I saw him. You'll get that later. And uh, I, I saw this guy. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is not real. I'm not going to guard this guy. He can't guard me. This is against the rules. And the ref started to chuckle, and he says, pipe down, or I'll give you a technical foul. I was like, I'm offended. And so I was like, okay, what do we do? We're going to play. And so I get the ball. It's literally the clock is running out. It's 17 seconds to go. We're down by one. We got to score. So I'm like, I'm going to go do what I can do. So I go right. He, go, he bites. I go left. He goes with me. I come around the baseline. He leans into me, and I sneak up around him, and I'm able to lay it up with my left hand. Yeah, your boy's got a left hand. And, and so I lay it up, but my ankle gives out. It rolls, and I'm down on the floor, and I literally, it rolled so big, it looked like a softball. I thought I was going to be physically ill from the pain. Have you ever had pain like that where you thought you were going to be physically ill? And then I'm down on the ground. I'm like, ah, my God. Mom, I mean, Jesus, 
And then somebody comes over, you okay? I was like, no, I'm not okay. And they go, what can we do? I go, did the ball go in? They go, yeah. I was like, I feel okay now, <laughs> feel okay now. And so, but really, my ankle was really bad, and so they had to help me off the court. We won the game. The older I get, the better I was. And so I go to the doctor. I get in the dock. He sets me down. He goes, wow, that's a bad one. I was like, thanks for the pick-me-up, doc. He's like, no, have a seat. We're going to check you all out. And he comes over, and he goes, hey, let's, let's get a listen of your heart. And he puts his stethoscope up, and I knock it away because I'm just, you know, I'm still in basketball mode. Don't you put that on me. And he goes, what? I go, Doc, I don't know how much money you paid for all the education that you've endured, but it's done nothing. There's no issue here. It's with my ankle. And he says, hey, friend, son, <laughs> listen. He says, if your heart's not right, nothing else matters. And the reality for each and every one of us, as we are called to follow Jesus, there's going to be some trivial things. There's going to be some surface things. Let me just say it like this in the church. I think too many of us are in trying to get a facelift when God called us to have a heart transplant. And so we, we, we do the surface things to be a, a, a follower of Jesus. We look the part and we act the part, but all the while we're falling apart inside. And God has never called us to be polished, but he's called us to be powerful. And as we walk with Jesus, it all comes back to the power of the pulmonary power of God's grace within inside of us. And he says, it's about your heart. And today, if you or a note taker and you want to write down some things or you can go on our app. There's a place to keep in, in the notes there as well. But the title of my message is The Heart of a Man. Heart of a Man. That's not to be exclusive of any women. This is ultimately talking about mankind. I'm, I'm very in tune with my feminine side. I have five sisters growing up. Two moms, a wife, a daughter. Used to have a girl dog, but we got rid of her because we were outnumbered. I changed the voice on my maps app on my phone because it was a lady's voice and I couldn't have one more person in my life tell me what to do. <laughs> Silence. Heart of a man. You know, the Bible talks about a man that God used for glorious things and his name was David. In Acts chapter 13, it says that after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. And so when it comes to the heart, it's essential that we understand that left to ourselves, our heart, as Jeremiah the prophet would say, is deceitful and beyond cure. The heart that we have in our natural sense as we live our lives and do as we will will lead us astray, the Bible says. But when we know that we've been given a heart of God, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I'll give you a new spirit. I'll exchange your old heart of stone for a heart of flesh, shapeable, pliable, formable to be like God, to follow after God in his grace. He puts the spirit of God inside of us. He says in, in 1 John that greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And it all comes down to our heart. In this life, we're going to experience a lot of things. And sometimes we'll experience the high side of life and have some high, glorious mountains that we get to have a great, great gaze from. 
And that gives us a lot of hype. But let me tell you, in Jesus, it's not about hype. It's always about hope. And the hope of God's grace comes back to this place of saying, how is my heart? Well, if we have a heart of God, it's because he's given it to us. But he also says, it's not just going to be there. You're going to have to guard it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Let me say it like this. He didn't tell you to have your pastor to guard your heart. He didn't tell you to have your spouse to guard your heart. He didn't tell you to have your small group to guard your heart. He says, you, it's inferred, you guard your heart. Because this is the wellspring. What does that mean? It means everything flows from this. And if our heart isn't right, nothing else matters. And the heart is essential. And David is our subject for today. We're going to engage in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And before we get into this portion of scripture, I just want to give a little backstory. This is an incredible narrative. Go back and read the whole thing. This is your homework. 1 Samuel chapter 16, chapter 17. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but let me just tell you a little bit about it. This is the story of David and Goliath. Did anybody hear Howard Cosell in your head when you said that out loud? David and Goliath. I'm dating myself. Anybody remember Howard Cosell? Yeah. Both of us. Awesome. Great. But it's the story of David and Goliath. And David was a shepherd boy. You hear about him being the psalmist. And he would write some psalms. And at different times, he would just pour it out. And he would talk to God about his problems. He would talk about problematic people. And he said, I hope they go to Sheel. And that rhymes with the place that he's really talking about. Hey, El. And, and David would be very candid. That was funny. <laughs> Sorry, I should have paused for it. Okay, and, and David would just talk to, to God, and, and in the Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Did you know David was the shepherd boy? He was the son of Jesse, must be a good guy. And he was the eighth son. Jesse had seven other sons, and Jesse was the person that Samuel heard from God. It was God had left Saul. Saul was a disobedient leader. And it says that David had a heart after God. And let me just say it like this, with the facelift comparatively to the heart transplant. When it comes to perception, Saul was probably the more polished version. Because how many of you know David had some problems? David had some character issues. David had some obedience issues. And God says, I'm not looking for the put together. I'm looking for the absolute power of God to flow through not perfect people, not powerful people, not elect or elite, not people that came from a pedigree, but from people that have the right heart. And so if you're doing the comparison game, Saul probably fit the model a little bit more, but God doesn't look at the exterior. The Bible says that God sees the heart. This matters. Matters to God. So he talked to Samuel. He told Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. I have selected a new king to appoint. So the spirit had left Saul. You ever met somebody that got fired and didn't know it yet? <laughs> you see him in the kitchen. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Great, great, awesome. I don't know what else to say because 
I just got to go. I don't know. I got to go. You're going to get fired later. Sorry. It's like awkward. So, so God had fired Saul. He had appointed a new king and he talked to Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and I will show you who to anoint. Well, Jesse brought forth his sons, seven sons, and it says that they were nice, strapping, strong Hebrew boys. And Samuel came in and he had the the horn of anointing full of oil, ready to anoint the next king. And it says that he would pass by each of them and, and the oil would not flow. Historians would say that physically the oil would not come out of the horn. And he got all through the seven and he goes to Jesse. He's like, is there any others? I heard God say, come to this house to anoint the next king. But God is not allowing the anointing of the oil to flow on these friends. And he says, well, there's there's the youngest, David, the shepherd boy. He's out in the field tending to some menial tasks. You know, this word in Hebrew in the original text, it says youngest. It it, it literally means least significant. He was young. Matter of fact, he says that he was different than his brothers. It says that he was ruddy. He was a little darker complexion. That he was person, if you go and read in the scriptures in Psalm 27, David talks about being born into sin. If you read in Psalm 51, it talks about the pain of him being produced in this life. This is all attributed of what historians would say is that David was probably born out of wedlock in an extramarital affair or a concubine. That he didn't have the same mother as the other brothers. And because of that, he was dismissed and passed over and picked on that he didn't fit in anybody ever not feel like they fit in but he says here this is the one and as David came in the oil of the anointing of God started to flow and David was still finding himself in a season and just because you've been anointed doesn't mean that you're not going to have to fight some giants in the process of get to your season of appointing. And every opposition is ultimately the opportunity for God to check our heart along the way. And we're going to fight battles. And you don't sign up for your sufferings. You don't sign up for your battles. But we will battle. We will not sign up for a fight. But we will fight as the opposition and adversaries rise up against us. Come on, friends. We need to guard our heart. And that's going to take us engaging with God's grace and saying, not today, Satan. We're going to engage in a way that God will give us the strength to endure, push past our quitting points. We're going to face some giants in this life. And let me not be oblivious. The reality is, based on sure numbers of people in this place today, there is a large population that uh, people that came here that you're not cheery and excited right now. That you're fighting some giants. And I just believe as the Holy Spirit has led me to really bring this message forth today, he's done so to encourage, equip, strengthen, and empower us all by his grace to continue to lead us forward in a journey with him. And if you're here today, this message is for you. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Go with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read this portion of scripture Give us a few talking points. Matter of fact, what I'm going to give us today is five smooth stones. I want to put something in our arsenal. I want to put something in your fanny pack, in your purse, in your purse, whatever you carry. And I want to make sure we are equipped for the battle at hand. So let's read now 
1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 32, it says this. David said to Saul, let no one lose what? Heart on account of this Philistine. Previous to this, the Philistine was referred to as an uncircumcised Philistine. Uncircumcised, ultimately, circumcision was ultimately the, the connection point of covenant. What he's saying is, is this guy is against God. He's out of covenant with God. And, and now Samuel, the servant boy, he came to the conversation because he was just doing what he was told. Matter of fact, he was the very first pizza delivery boy. It's delivery? No, it's DiGiorno's. It says that he came with bread and cheese. Come on, how many of you love dairy and carbs? Come on, holler at your boy. <laughs> oh, Lord, doctor, talk to me about my diet. We'll talk about that later. I am so full of salad, but still so empty inside. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> my brother. <laughs> so David now, in faithfulness to follow, he was anointed, but he had not yet been appointed, but he stayed in this posture of a servant, being willing to do what God had called him to do. So he came out to serve his brothers, the ones that would reject him, the ones that would disrespect him, but he was faithful to the call of God. And he came out and he heard the conversation. There was a battle at hand, the Philistines versus the Israelites. And in this day, they would stand on two mountainsides and they wouldn't have the whole armies fight. They would select warriors from each. Well, the Bible talks about Goliath, Goliath from Gath. He was the uncircumcised Philistine, this person. He was seven foot something, six cubits is what the Bible says. It was like the guy I played in basketball. It's like, I really look up to you. <laughs> And it says here, it says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. Other translations say you're only a boy. He says, you can't go out and fight him. You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. And, and he has become his man. He's been a warrior since his youth. So David came to the party, heard this Philistine. The Bible says that he taunted the people of Israel for 40 days and for 40 nights. You know, the number of 40 in the Bible always had to do with testing. Come on, how many of you have drove on Spanner Way Loop out there in the 40 sign? 40, 40, 40. I was like, that must be the player behind me because I, I, 63, what is going on? Officer, officer, I'm a pastor in this community, man. Well, there's your ticket, Pastor. <laughs> Do you pray? <laughs> and, and 40 was always in associated with testing. So it said for 40 days and for 40 nights, this Philistine, this man outside of the covenant of God, would spew venomous disrespect against God and the people, and he would taunt them. Let me tell you this morning, friends, some of you have been Dealing with something much longer than 40 days and day and night and you're telling yourself that this addiction will never pass you. You're telling yourself that this pain of the past will never leave you. Let me tell you, friends, greater is your God. Come on. We always find ourselves in the middle of the battle right before we come to the complete understanding of the grace of God. How good is grace is? God is greater. He says, the Lord, go, go back one, one verse, 36, if you would, please. And then, 33, there. You are not able to go out against the Philistine, fight him, and you're only a man. And this guy, this Philistine, this Goliath, has been a warrior since his youth. 
And this is what David says. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. He's saying the lion, the tiger, and the bear, oh my. Sorry, I threw the tiger in there. He says, the Lord who rescued me, other translation says delivered me, will rescue me. And this is what I know, that David, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. This is like someone saying, sure, 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 go ahead, bless your heart. Good luck. (laughs) Then Saul, he dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he says this, he says, I cannot go in these. He said to Saul, because I am used to them, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones. How many stones? Five. If you know anything about the Bible, you would know scripturally five is the number of grace. So we, we see, and I'll fast forward to the end, David used his sling and his stone, but he only had one shot to take this brother out. You know the last thing that went through Goliath's mind? A rock. <laughs> Sorry. So so he said, choose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in your pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. Come on, how many of you feel like your giants are coming? He says he looked, he looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy. He's like, what, who is this rookie? He says he's a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? He's basically saying, like, this is how you would punk somebody. He's like, your mama. That's, that's basically what he was saying in that moment. He's like, you, you're nothing, man. Who, do you think, who, do you, who does this guy think he is? Who's this guy? It's like, you know, Christian, like, flippant, disrespectful things. Like, Jesus says, like, you whitewashed wall. If you said that today, somebody would be like, what are you talking about? Who, who do you think I am? A dog? Did you come at me with sticks? It's like, that's not that cool of a diss, bro. <laughs> he says, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. David said, come here. Come here. And I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut your head off. And this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the animals and the whole world will know that there was a God God in Israel and all those that gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves but is the battle which is the Lord's come on and he and he he will give all of you into our hands and after removing Saul he made David their king again he testified concerning to him I have found David a man after my own heart. Come on, friends. It's the matter of the heart. But I want to give us five smooth stones to have in our arsenal today to fight our adversaries. Every giant that would raise up. 
God is not looking for polished, put-together people. He's not looking for the qualified. He's not looking for the elite. He's not looking for somebody with a pedigree. He's looking for hearts. Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout all the earth, looking for hearts, looking for hearts that are fully committed to him, that he would strengthen them. And so we need strength for today to fight the giants that we would face. So five things. Let me... Let me give you really quick, first and foremost, the first point is this. We need to have what? A fixed focus. A fixed focus. Let me say it like this. In this narrative, from chapter 17, verse 1, all the way to chapter 26, Philistines are talking about the Israelites, and the Israelites are talking about the Philistines, but no one's talking about God or to God. All throughout this portion, people are talking about the problems and the people involved, but no one is putting it in the hands of the almighty person that can actually do something with the problem. That was just for the day. We don't do that today. That's a lie. Some of you were even seen driving here today, and somebody thought you were talking on your phone, but ultimately you were talking to yourself. It's like we, we finish every fight that we had previously, and we always win later on when we rerun the tape, right? You ever been there? Like, like, no, you do the dishes. If you would have done the dishes, the garbage would have went around, and then the whole house wouldn't have stunk. I mean, hypothetically, that never has happened in our house. But I always win every battle later on as I rewind the tape. But the problem is, is that I'm not putting the problem in the hands of a person can actually do something with it. I'm still got this banter going back and forth. Matter of fact, we don't just talk to ourselves. We talk to other people about the problem. Well, I'm not really into gossip, so my own, I'm going to only say this once. But, well, girls, girls, we just talk. We just got to talk to each other. You know the, the crazy thing about telling someone else about someone else's problem is that as soon as you tell them, they're telling someone else. They would never do that. Everybody's got a best friend. Every, well, don't tell anybody else, but so-and-so, and they, we all find ourselves losing the focus. Matter of fact, it's a broken focus, and for us to fix our focus is for us to bring things forward to God. Let me say it like this. Don't ever go horizontal. Go vertical. Bring it to God. My kids will be playing outside, and they're like angels. They never fight. And they'll be playing outside and somebody will come in crying and I'll be like, what's wrong? Depending upon who it is, if it's my favorite or not. I don't play favorites, <laughs> but if I did. <laughs> and and uh, they'll come crying and I'll be like, what? What happened? Well, they did this and I'll go outside. Well, what happened? Well, he wouldn't get out of the way. And then, and then she was doing this. I go, here, guys, let me help you. If you find yourself in a problem, just come tell dad. Come tell daddy I can do something about it. But then they start tattletaling. <laughs> well, he was da da da. Guys, if you tell dad, if you put the power of the problem in the hands of the person that can actually do something about it, then we won't get caught up in sideways energy, gossip, and rabbit trails that lead us off the course. No, no, no. We got to fix our focus because the battle is too great for us to get caught up in frivolous endeavors. We find ourselves fighting the wrong battles. The Bible is really clear. The Bible says that there is a fight at hand. Timothy says, but it's a good fight. The good fight is the fight of faith. 
And so if it has nothing to do with the faith that is out in front of you, that God has placed this ability to endure and push past these problematic impasses, if it doesn't require faith, it's probably not your fight. We just get caught up in these things, don't we? We need to have a fixed focus because the greatest place we can ever go is to God. Number two is this. Write this down if you would. We need to not just have a fixed focus. We need to have a ridiculous reality. I love this translation in the NLT version. It says this. It says in verse 17, chapter, or chapter 17, verse 32, he says, this is Saul. He says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. <laughs> Goliath is standing on the other side saying, give me a man. And then he presents the man, however he comes, in the posture of a servant. And, and then he says, well, you're just a boy. But God says, this is a man after my own heart. And we can't have the dic dictation of the things that are going on around us to determine how we move forward in this life. Let me say it like this. If the dream, vision, aspirations, and hopes of your life do not scare you, they probably are not from God. They're probably limited by your reality. And we don't need a worldly reality. We need a ridiculous reality. We need to have one that we look at and we go, God, that seems ridiculous. But you know what happens when we believe for the ridiculous, we start to see the miraculous. We start to see God move large and in charge and defeat every giant, every devil, every opposition. Come on, we need a ridiculous reality. Saul says to David, you're just a boy. But God says, I found a man. And, and isn't it just like us that in the old cartoons, some of you young friends won't know this, but in the old days, there was this guy named Porky Pig, Abby, 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 and that ain't a remix tape. <laughs> Get it while it's hot. <laughs> and there was, there was Porky Pig and other friends, but they would always have two, two little things on their shoulder. On one shoulder, it was the angel. On the other, it was the devil, right? And they would always fight each other and be like, don't do it. And the other one's like, we're going to do that twice today, right? And, and, and the devil would, would beat up the angel or the angel would beat up the little devil. And I think we look at our context and our consistency in this life and we start to equate it as equals. Light versus darkness. Good versus bad. Let me say it like this. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. God is victorious in all things. And he's greater than any opposition or adversary that would rise up. We give too much credit to the dark. But just so you know, you like this little light of mine. Oh, I'm going to let it shine. Guess what's going to happen in the dark in places? You're going to illuminate the glory of God. And you're going to go... Flee in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give too much credit. We don't understand how much power we possess. Because we limit our realities to what we can physically see. And we do not allow our vision to be so ridiculous that it requires Christ's strength to see it come to pass. Come on, we need to have a ridiculous reality. Number three, write this down if you would. 
We need a miraculous memory. Miraculous memory. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, it says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. The God who rescued me will rescue me. I just think, I'm not, I'm pretty sure that David wasn't excited about signing up to fight a bear or a lion in the past. I don't know about you if you've ever fought a bear or a lion. My kids will act like that, and I caught them lying once. I could barely stand it. You know how you know when it's a dad joke, when it's a parent? <laughs> It's medicine. It's medicine. But I'm pretty sure David didn't sign up excited, ambitious, with zeal to fight a bear or a lion. But what I do know is, is that as much as God told him, get five smooth stones, it only took one. And on the stage of your life, in the mission of God, when you go from your anointing to your appointing, you're going to endure the pain of this great giant, and God's going to surround you to get more glory out of your life, and it's going to take one shot when it comes to those moments, because you're going to have some few, few reps under your belt. Matter of fact, you've had some training ground. Let me just say it like this. I'm just so glad the internet was not active and alive in my days previous to Jesus. I'm so glad that the world hasn't been able to see some of my earliest sermons. What? <laughs> All I'm saying is, is that there were days that I'm sure Daniel, David, had to fight and use all that he had in his arsenal to keep twirling and whirling and throwing and fighting and enduring the difficulties of the day. And he wasn't so pristine or polished or put together. God's not looking for put together people. He's looking for available people that would say, the pains of my past and the heartaches that have helped me get to this place, God, you get all the glory. Come on, we need to have a miraculous memory. But the problem is more times than not, we have a miserable memory. And we just remember the pain associated with the process. We don't recall the power of what God did through those dark days and why I can stand in this place today and not acquiesce and not back down. But we point to the pain of the past and we go, man, if, if I was born with with those things and that availability, if I was afforded those luxuries, maybe I would. We get caught up in this memory problem. We just remember it in a negative way. Let me just tell you, God foreknew, created with a purpose and a plan. He says, I know the plans I have for you, to, not to harm you, but to prosper you. Come on, and the, the weapons that are formed against you, they said they wouldn't prosper. He never said they wouldn't hurt. Because you don't grow without any level of pain. 
You will not grow past this point of endurance without being willing to endure some pain. And the pain of your past will produce in you the endurance and the ability to see things differently than the rest of the world. You'll have a miraculous memory. You'll only remember the good and not the bad. And I'm not being dismissive of what has happened to you. All I'm saying is in this life, we have to remember that we are going to fight a good fight. Instead of a miracle memory, we get caught up in a victim's memory. And we think maybe your days were better back then. Why can't it be like the good old days? Well, journey with me. My Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not was. And I just think, man, we've got to be in step with the Holy Spirit. God is on the move. And if we married ourselves to the methods back then and we hope to be effective in this day, we're going to constantly miss the mark. We can't remember what was outside of what we've learned. And we have to continue to move forward. God will give you everything you need in this life to endure, to push past, to continue going. David dealt with some painful things himself. Says he was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of his mother conceived him. Like he was picked on and picked over. He had a different mom born in a painful matter. And the truth is, is that a lot of us have been through a lot of things. And I don't want to be simplistic or dismissive of that. I'm just saying God will use it together for the good of those who called according to his purposes. And we have to stay in the call for him to use them according to his purposes. Amen. Number four, we need to have a dedicated future, a dedicated future. First Samuel 17, verse 38, he says, And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him with a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened it on his sword over the tunic and, and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He says, I cannot go in these. He said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. I just think we, we oftentimes try to put things upon ourselves that will not set us up to continue to sustain the grace of God on our lives. And we will constantly combat the things that we're trying to be when God's never called to bless that. We try to be more like someone else. We, we want the access of the power of the anointing of God on someone else's life. So we act the part and look the part and try to follow in a false image. But God's never called you to be anything other than the authentic version of yourself. The anointing of God is on the truest version of yourself. And he can't anoint what you pretend to be. And so when we, when we try to put on things that we were never fit for, we will constantly fight the fit and not the battle. And so uh, David, he was noticing this out of the gates. He's like, I'm not made to fight like this. Maybe that worked for you, Saul, but that doesn't work for me. He goes, I cannot do it like this. And I think a lot of times we, we think in the context, especially in the church, we get all hype and start shouting down the preacher when we start talking about haters, right? Hater this, haters gonna hate, right? I'm just, you know, Prophet S, T Swift said it, like haters are gonna hate, but I'm just gonna shake, shake, shake. And, and I think we can get like, yeah, come on, yeah, the haters, the haters. 
Let me say it like this. I don't think the haters are the ones that are going to impede our progress. I think it's Jesus. I don't think it's the haters that are going to impede our progress. I think it's the lovers that are going to stop us more. Let me say it like this. You've got people in your path that are very prescriptive with you on how you're supposed to live your life. Hey, you gotta do it like this because this is how it's done. How do you know this is how it's done? Because this is how I did it. You've got family members in your life saying, you're gonna, you're gonna really follow this Jesus? You're really gonna be a Christian and go to church like all the time? It's fine if you go on Christmas and Easter, but you're gonna dedicate your life to this? Come on. I just think it's not the haters that are gonna get us to a place that we hate the journey, that's a lot of time the lovers that are well-intended actually probably care for you very much, but they don't understand the call that's on your life. I remember when I was 17, I, I was living in Las Vegas with my mom and I came here to visit my dad. At that point, we were living in a pretty poverty, suppressive in community, oppressed, depressed, economically, spiritually, socioeconomically it was just it was a pretty dark time in my life these were the formidable years and and I just remember living in this place where I was just like I've got no vision I've got no ambition I've gotten I never aspired to go to college let alone finish, finish high school so I came to visit my dad and I was there and I just remember saying it one day and when it was getting close for me to go back and I was like man I just I don't want to go back my dad says well you can stay here and I was like, what? How many of you know you don't dream in the dark? So I was in a dark place and I couldn't dream. I couldn't see past the point of my immediate pain. And I was like, what? I could stay, I stay here? He's like, yeah. So I call up my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, um, dad says it would be all right if I stay here. I just remember my mom going, oh, man, if you do that, it'll, it'll break my heart. I was just like, but mom, I, I just think maybe this is a place where I could get a leg up and like, maybe, I, maybe I'd have a chance if I could get out of these circumstances, if I could get out of these environments that I find myself constantly failing and doing the same things over and over and over and expecting different results. Well, that would just destroy me. It was probably at the time the hardest thing that I had to do, but I made a decision to not go back to the same place and do the same things but I made a decision to not allow the lovers of my life to determine or dictate the call of my life. And let me just say it like this. Sometimes storms aren't there to destroy. Sometimes storms are there to clear the path. And sometimes we endure problems that we don't realize what God is doing and we think we gotta listen to the lovers, but you don't, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. You need to listen to your God. You need to engage in the way that he would call you to fix your focus. We need to remember, miraculously have this memory that we don't forget what he's done in, through the dark times, but we allow it to be a deliverance from the future times. We built endurance and strength, but we have to have a dedicated future. And you can't push past the pain of the problem in front of you today if you didn't make a definitive decision back then. And your future you requires you to make another declarative future stance today. And all that he's called us to 
requires faith. Faith is the thing, the only thing that pleases God. And David came out not because he was the biggest brother, strongest brother, not because he was the most polished or pristine. Matter of fact, he didn't even come from that strength of pedigree. He was somebody that was just the least significant, but he had a dedicated future. We have to be more dedicated to our design than our past defeat. Fifth and finally, and I'll conclude with this, is that we need to have a radical faith. Verse 47, it says, and that all those here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. Let me remind us this morning, my friends, it's not my fight, it's God's fight. It's not a bad fight if it's the good fight, the good fight of faith, and the kind of faith that you're gonna need to defeat the giants that raise up against you is a radical faith. This type of faith requires so much more. It requires us understanding the diligence, the faithfulness, the endurance, the long suffering. Come on, we can't quit because we don't fight for victory any longer. We fight from victory in Jesus. And so when we know the radical faith of God, it's not passive, it's assertive. It's almost aggressive. It's tenacious, diligent, willing to endure, willing to give itself to the pains of this life because we know that our God is greater. When, when we're in his plan, it's his battle. And let me just say it like this. He's never been defeated and he's not gonna start with you. He is victorious. And I just love this. I love this story. And when I found this portion that I'm going to share with you today, it made this whole thing so much more powerful. So David, it says that he defeated Goliath with the sling and the stone. It says that he went over there afterwards and he took Goliath's sword and he chopped his head off. You have to remember where the battle was. The battle was in the Holy Land. It was in Jerusalem. And so there were some things that you had to abide in in those times, in those days, and in those places. You could, you could ultimately leave the body, but you couldn't leave the head. The head is the place of anointing. You could not leave anything that would be associated with a demonic giant and force of opposition against the things of God in the Holy Land. So David went over and he chopped off his head. Let me say this as a little aside. Some of you have some giants that you've defeated in the past, but it still has the connection because there was such a demonic force there that you need to go back and chop its head off. He says he did it with the sword. The sword is synonymous all throughout scripture with the word of God. Don't go ill-equipped. But he says he chopped off his head, left the body there, Matter of fact, a few days ago, actually, no, it was quite a while ago, there was a spider on a front porch. My wife said, honey, there's a spider. I'm like the champion in my house because I am the spider terminator. And so I killed the spider. A couple hours later, she called me back. She said, honey, you left the spider dead on the front porch. I said, yeah, I put all the other spiders on notice. Don't come around here. 
So David took Goliath's head, took it outside the city gates and to the closest hillside and he buried the hill in the hill, the head of Goliath from Gath. Goliath, the uncircumcised Philistine outside of covenant with God. Goliath of Gath. Goliath of Gath. He put it in the mountainside and they would name that mountainside after the head that remained in that place. Goliath of Gath. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Where about 2,000 years ago, the devil, the adversary, the giant that stands before us, accusing us, tormenting us, tempting us, saying, give me a man. And God says, you want a man? I'll give you a man, but it's not going to be a good man. It's going to be the God man. His name is Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross on Golgotha. And he said from the cross, it is finished. So every giant that tries to raise up, every devil that stands up in front of you, every time you tell him the anointing of God is on me and I'm a man after God's own heart and devil, you gotta back down. Giants, you gotta acquiesce. You got no place here. I don't remember the pain of the past. All I know is my God will produce in me a heart of a man. Come on, if you love him today, would you shout amen?